Our scripture today is from Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This would be found on page 827 in your pew Bibles, if you'd care to follow along. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. So it was a couple of years ago. Well, first, let me say this. Um, I, I mentioned that today's the day before Christmas Eve. Can you believe that tomorrow is Christmas Eve? <laughs> It went by so fast. Did it go by fast for anybody else this year? Uh, my wife and I were just talking the other day. We have never had a Christmas that has come so quickly. We feel like we just went through Advent despite, as I started the Advent season, lighting a candle and trying to take it slow. It went by so fast. This, though, I have to confess, is the part of the season that I treasure the most. And that's why I keep emphasizing the just before. I love this part of the season, the anticipation that the wait is almost over. It's the part of the season I love the most, but I might be alone in this feeling. I say this because it was a couple of years ago in this sanctuary at one of our uh, Christmas primary programs from our school that I was interacting with some of the kids um, before, you know, trying to occupy, keep them you know, uh, focused, and I was talking about Christmas with one, one child. And in the midst of this just great conversation, this lovely, about gifts, about the shepherds, about Santa, angels, Bethlehem, I just, I remarked to this little girl, I said, isn't it exciting waiting for Christmas to come? <laughs> I'll never forget what she said or the look on her face. She got very, very cross and she said, exciting? No, it's terrible. The waiting's the hardest part. <laughs> it's not just children. It's not just children, though. None of us are very good at waiting. In fact, I find, and I'm among those most people, most people do whatever they can to avoid waiting altogether. I mean, after all, we are the instant fix society, are we not? We are the age of immediate gratification. I mean, we live in great times. The microwave. God bless the person who invented the microwave. <laughs> Because the microwave keeps us, it saves us from having to wait for our dinner to come out of the oven or for our soup to simmer on the stove. All it takes is two minutes, three, four. You're done. Credit cards rescue us from having to, ha to wait to have enough money to get what we want. Maybe that's not such a good thing, but that doesn't stop us from using them. And in contrast, and especially during this time of year, being stuck at a traffic light, sitting in a doctor's office after one's appointment time has passed, 
standing in line and waiting for our number to be called, tossing and turning impatiently in our beds, waiting to hear the sound of Santa's bells, waiting can be torture. It can feel so meaningless for some of us that we will gladly bow down before the gods of consumerism and efficiency, those false gods that proclaim that waiting is in fact a waste of time. And the truth is, no one wants to live in terms of the long run. We can talk about it all we want, but no one wants to live in terms of the long run. We want things done ASAP, preferably now. Now, in contrast, Maybe this is one of the reasons why we're called here week after week. In contrast, the God who comes to us in Bethlehem is a God who makes us wait. For decades, Abraham waited for the Lord to make good on his promise of a son through his barren wife, Sarah. For centuries, the Israelites waited for their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. For generations, the ancient prophets pined away for a long-promised Messiah, only to pass away long before his arrival. Now, we might say, but, well, but that was then. This is now. What's awesome about Christmas, we might say, we might think, is that Christmas, what's great is it's just reliving what's already taken place. We know what happened. That's why we're here. We know that salvation did come. That's why we're here. Joseph married Mary. The virgin gave birth. Jesus was born. End of story. There's nothing to wait for except the discovery of what's hidden in our stockings. There's nothing to wait for except finding out what's wrapped underneath all that paper covering those gifts by our tree. And at first, our reading this morning that Paul writes to one of his protégés named Titus would seem to agree that we're simply reliving the past. As Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, has appeared. In many ways, that single verse from Titus, I think, is an excellent summation in about, what, six words, for the grace of God has appeared, perfect for a Twitter feed, by the way, of what Christmas... Oh, it was one person thought it was funny. All right. <laughs> At least one. But it is. For the grace of God appeared is a perfect summation of what we celebrate tomorrow and the day after. The gift of Christmas. Grace. The gift of Christmas. Grace. The unmerited and yet active favor of God. Let's chew on that for a second. Grace. The gift of Emmanuel, God being so for us that he is willing to go to any lengths, to go the distance, to the extreme, to be with us. Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, which, if you really stop and think about it, is the exact opposite of what we often make Christmas to be about. Let me repeat that again in case you missed it. Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, which is interesting because it tends to be the exact opposite of what we make Christmas to be all about. After all, how does the old song go? The one that shapes our contemporary celebration of Christmas? I'm not going to sing it. But you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town and he's making a list. He's checking it twice. And he's going to find out who's been naughty 
or nice. For the naughty people, there's a lump of coal waiting for you in your stocking. For the nice people, and we're all nice people, aren't we? For the nice people, there's a stack of presents waiting on Christmas morning. I know this isn't the first time this has been said, but it's worth repeating. Santa is positioned as a threat to children during the month of December. Can we come out of the closet on this? <laughs> Santa is positioned as a threat to children during the month of December. If you're being naughty, if there's even a chance of a child being bad, they don't go to sleep, they won't finish their dinner, they don't do their chores, they're told Santa's watching. Santa knows about, be good, or Santa won't come. Santa's watchful and judgeful, judging eye has, is so great, it's actually expanded its reach over the last couple of years, thanks to, God bless it, the elf on the shelf. <laughs> Santa's inside man, keeping an eye on children. Keeping an eye on children, appearing in the most random of places, always available to report back to Santa what your child wants, but also to report back to Santa if your child deserves it. And so, under this paradigm that we make Christmas, what do most kids do? I don't know about most kids, I know what I did. What I did was I tried extra hard to be good for about four weeks to make up for the other 11 months of spotty and questionable behavior. <laughs> right? And this is fun, it's funny, but without trying to be a humbug, and I'm really not trying to be a humbug, if you grow up celebrating Christmas this way, you tend to see your relationship, I'm sorry if I ruined Santa for you, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Suddenly feel like Scrooge, sorry. <laughs> but without trying to be a humbug, if we grow up celebrating Christmas this way, seriously, if we grow up celebrating Christmas this way, we tend to see our relationship with God the same way as well. I, uh, my wife and I team teach uh, Bible at our school for our middle school students, and we give them a trimester project. And the trimester project this time around was to go and to interview different people in their lives, family, friends, complete strangers if they wanted to, and to ask them different questions about how they picture God. See, uh, seventh and eighth graders came back. What was fascinating to me, in the, and it was a, an interesting dispersal of, of, of responses, a good mix of Christian and non-Christian, but even with that, it was surprising to me that the predominant response of how people picture God, no distinction, Christian, non-Christian in this, was as an old man sitting on a throne, looking down. We celebrate, is it, is it a coincidence that that image seems to tie nicely to Santa Claus in some way? We celebrate Christmas the way that I've just described that we laughed about. We tend to see our relationship with God the same way as well. We grow up into adults who see God as some sort of Father Christmas figure, who keeps an eye on us, who wants us to be nice, 
And if we will be nice, he will give us everything on our Christmas list. But if we're naughty, we get nothing. None of our wishes, none of the things on our list come true. If we're naughty, we don't get coal in our stocking. We become the coal in the fires of hell. This is for many people the way they picture God. Beloved, when we picture God, we need to stop seeing him as an old man who keeps an ongoing list and kind of shows up every once in a while either doling out presents or delivering judgment. It's not, and please hear me, it's not that we deserve to be accepted by God and welcomed by him. It's not as if our lives are flawless. It's not as if our existence beyond this life in heaven is ours by right or by what we've done. I'm not saying that. We don't deserve anything. Our lives are a mess. Our world is broken. And yet, what Christmas is about is that God takes the initiative in coming to save us. Taking all of our baggage, all of the burden of the chaos and the, the, the dysfunction that we leave in our wake upon himself. And he does this so he can heal us. So he can make us whole. So we can pour out his good gifts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit upon us. Bethlehem in many ways is a beachhead. The entry point, the first piece of captured land. As our God in his love and mercy comes to rescue us, as God's grace invades our world. How do we know that God is gracious to us? How can we be certain that God is, isn't giving us what we deserve, but is instead bestowing his unmerited favor upon us? We come back to Paul's words. The grace of God has appeared. It's not that God's grace is somehow floating in the air. Or whispering in the wind? No, God's grace, Paul writes, has appeared. It has been made visible. It has been made flesh. Grace can be seen, touched, experienced, for God's grace has appeared in the manger, in the person of a baby born not to be king, but a baby who is the king of the universe, the Lord of all creation, Jesus Christ. Grace, that's what Christmas is about. But it still begs the question. It still begs the question, isn't Christmas just celebrating the anniversary of God's first coming? Of Jesus, born in Bethlehem. Of what God has done. Of, as Paul writes, that grace appeared. What is there still to wait for besides presence? Paul provides an answer. As he tells Titus, and through Titus he tells us that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, the gift of grace is the gift that keeps on giving. The gift of God's grace at Christmas is more than just the reception of Jesus' presence into our world. It's also the opportunity to welcome Jesus' person into our lives. We are invited to receive the grace of Jesus' character. To become more like him. One of the things we don't talk about enough in church, that we don't talk about enough at Christmas, let alone at Easter, is that one of the things that's significant about Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is that Jesus' humanity is perfect. It's unblemished by sin. It's 
uncheckered by that defect of living independently of God our Father and living in competition and comparison with everyone else. And why that's so significant, why we need to talk about that more, is because Jesus comes, what's so awesome about the gift of God's grace, this gift that keeps on giving, is that Jesus enters into our lives to make us more human. We think we know what it means to be human. Jesus comes to teach us what true humanity is all about. That's the offer of salvation that Paul is referring to. Not just to save us from death at the end of our lives. The offer of salvation is Christ's offer to save us from the dead parts of our lives now. The dead pieces of our souls. The deformed, lifeless parts of our character. And we all have them. In the history of our faith, Christmas has always been about not just looking back, but waiting and preparing for the many ways that God comes to us now. That Jesus is born anew in our lives. That grace continues to teach and transform us. If grace is the gift that we have fully received in Jesus, that we have received in Jesus on that first Christmas long ago, it is a gift I think that we haven't fully appreciated yet. If grace is a gift that we received on that first Christmas long ago, Christ continues to come because we haven't fully appreciated that gift yet. You ever had that kind of experience at Christmas? Did you ever get a gift at Christmas that when you got it on that Christmas, you didn't fully appreciate it? It's the kind of present you were thankful for when you first got it, but you really didn't get it? You've heard me share, and if you weren't here, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but one Christmas... My grandmother, who I hadn't had a relationship with in years, gave my sister a color TV and gave me vocabulary tapes. <laughs> and let me tell you, it was a gift that I was questionably thankful for, but I certainly did not appreciate. Until later. Until later. Until later when, as I became a vervacious reader, I began to write, I fell in love with words. And this gift that before I was like, what am I going to do with this? Became something that ministered to me in my need. Beloved, grace is a gift from God that many of us have received, but maybe we don't fully appreciate. And maybe the reason why we have to wait, why God continues to come to us Christmas after Christmas, is because it's only a gift we can appreciate over time. I mean, we can sit here on Sunday after Sunday and we can talk about grace, we can sing about it, we can pray for it, but we don't and we will not, honestly, fully understand grace. And what grace, what's so compelling about grace, what's so powerful about grace is it demands us to surrender before it. And when we surrender before grace, the more that we let grace into our lives, let alone our world, the impact, the pervasive nature of grace when it's unleashed changes us. And the evidence that we don't fully appreciate this gift is as we look around, ours is still very much a graceless world, is it not? I mean, is it just me or does it at times feel like it's actually getting meaner out there? I mean, have you noticed that we've suddenly, and, and, and in so many different ways this is kind of bearing out, we have become a society where we fall into two camps. We either position ourselves as victims, it's somebody else's fault, or we position ourselves as vindictive. Somebody takes a shot at me, somebody takes a swipe at us, I'm gonna make them pay. We are a society that wants it when we want it, 
and we want it the way we want it. And heaven help anyone who would dare disappoint us, even inadvertently. We can look back over the course of history and we have evolved. We have incredible progress. I've said this before, but it bears repeating again as we celebrate Christmas. We can look back and pride ourselves that we are a civilized society. And yet, as we pride ourselves in being a civilized society, do we not agree that we have yet to prove ourselves to be a civil society? I mean, for goodness sake, credit card companies, even credit card companies and insurance carriers offer a bit of grace when things get tight. But beyond that, no one seems to be willing to cut anybody else a little slack. If someone fails to meet our expectations, the default response I hear to people when they encounter confrontation, conflict in their life, if someone fails to meet our expectations, they should be fired, they should be sued, or at least they should be held accountable and punished in some way so that they learn their lesson. Isn't it telling? Isn't it telling that we aren't as well practiced in teaching others the lessons of grace? The default response, and this is again why, what makes grace so provocative. This is again why grace is a gift we don't fully appreciate. We are well versed at teaching the lessons of punishment. But we don't teach the lessons of grace. And to me, that fact is some of the most compelling evidence that grace is a gift that we have to grow into. On this day before Christmas Eve, this day before we begin to celebrate and perceive that our waiting is over, we're starting to realize, I hope, that we still have some waiting to do, as we still have some lessons to learn. We're learning, we're discovering that grace is a gift that we need to unwrap, not just at Christmas, but all 365 days of the year. In the midst of the temptations, the challenges, the frustrations that are before us, all the time, at work, in life, there are many graces, there are many signs of Christ's presence, but we need to be trained by the Holy Spirit to see them. We need to recognize and follow the prompting of the gracious Holy Spirit and say no to ungodliness, as Paul writes. And ungodliness is simply those things which are not of God. And we need to become more like Jesus, more self-controlled, more upright. And upright simply means looking up and more godly. Lives that are oriented by looking towards our Father even as we look out towards our neighbor and even the stranger who's before us. We sang in just, just a few moments ago, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And it's not just a song. It's not just a sentiment for Christmas. It's the way of life in Jesus Christ. It's a part of what it truly means to be human, of becoming whom we were created to be. As Paul reminds us through his words to Titus, grace teaches us we grow into the gift of grace while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, in the history of our faith, the very fact, one of the very reasons for the creation of the Advent season in the church has been this acute awareness that Jesus has unfinished business with our world. We as believers proclaim that the infant who drew his first ragged breath in Mary's arms has yet to speak his final word. The work of the cross is finished, amen, as Jesus proclaimed, but the realization of that work, the fruit of that harvest, has not yet been fully realized. Even on this side of Good Friday and the resurrection, we recognize that while the war is won, the battle is not over. 
Love has come down in Jesus Christ. The kingdom has been established by the cross and the tomb. The spirit of Pentecost is on the move. But all is not yet as it will be. And I think the events of last Friday prove nothing less. Paul puts it this way in another letter. The whole creation, the whole creation still groans together for its redemption. And beloved, we as Christians, what this is about is not just looking back. It's not even just about the present. It's looking forward. And we as Christians groan, not in a hopeless whimper. We groan, not with a sigh of defeat or futility. Ours is a cry of expectant yearning for a divine banquet that is already being prepared. For a great and final Christmas celebration that awaits us all. We are waiting and preparing ourselves for the last gift of Christmas. The fulfillment, the consummation of a promise born in Bethlehem and later echoed by that child grown into a man to his disciples, to us, the peace and healing of the nations, the establishment of a perfect justice. Can it be? The reckoning of all wrongs. Is it possible the reclamation of all that has been lost, it staggers the mind. The making of all things new. What will that be? This is the blessed hope for which we wait. This is what is called the hope of glory. Jesus has come. Jesus still comes to us in the openness, the vulnerability of the manger. And wise men, hungry hearts, those with eyes to see still seek him there. This is Christmas, our invitation, our opportunity to receive the offer of salvation. But beloved, let us not forget that Jesus is coming back and we will appear again in glory. Not this time as a tiny baby whom we can hold in our hands and in our hearts, but in his rightful place as king of kings, the one who has the whole world in his hands. Every eye will see him. Everyone will know him. And he will judge the living and the dead. Not like Santa Claus. Not based on whether we've been naughty or nice. But as Lord and Savior. Based on whether we re have received the gift of his grace. Whether we've unwrapped it. Whether we've lived our lives in it and through it. That's what Christmas is about. And beloved, I'm trying to get you there. I'm trying to, give you, to stimulate your senses, your minds right now, your hearts, because the experience of God's glory, if you just even barely taste it, is so incredible, it's so beautiful, it's so mighty, it's so overwhelming, that it transforms you. It transforms you whether you see it by faith in the gospel or whether, as we all will one day, we see it by sight when Christ returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The scriptures tell us that the hope of glory is anticipating that moment when the whole, our whole being will experience a quantum leap of transformation. As we see Christ for who he fully is, the scriptures describe that we will finally be like Christ as we enter into the eternal blessing of all God's people. 
The revelation of God's glory in Jesus will raise us all from death. Not just physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational death. We will be lifted up, incorruptible, clean. Anybody else want to get clean? Whole. Anyone else want to know what it feels like to be whole? And this will happen to us even as we look around and the whole universe itself is renewed. I hear this and I say, why must we wait? Why must we wait? Why does God make us wait for something so good, so desirous? How about to deepen our souls? How about to deepen our souls? How about God makes us wait to prepare us, to make us ready, to come alongside and nudge even the most reluctant, apathetic, or clueless of persons? One of the most blatant reflections of sin in our lives is our perpetual dissatisfaction. That we have to be taught to say thank you, but complaining or griping requires no tutelage. Doesn't that suggest something? Doesn't that suggest something? We are never satisfied, you and I, because as C.S. Lewis once wrote, we are far too easily pleased. Our imaginations get narrower, not larger as we age. That ain't the way God created us. Our imaginations get narrower, not larger, as we age. The world around us becomes more barren as we age, rather than pregnant with possibility. As we age, we slowly become, and you know who you are, creatures of habit. We shy away from, we maybe even detest and rebel the unexpected, surprises. We don't like change. Our daily calendars, they become full rather than open-ended, marked not by the rhythms of redemption or play, but our calendars are jam-packed, dominated by the demands of efficiency, productivity, work. Beloved, wait for it. The hope of glory is a powerful antidote to worldly living. When the anticipation of what will be gets into your heart, you will never be the same person. When hope is born of grace, when grace educates our hopes, and that's what should inform our hopes, grace and grace alone. When grace educates our hopes, we are no longer attracted to the tinsel of worldly glory. There is no luster to fame, fortune, and power for us anymore. We see these lustful prizes for what they are, lies that promise freedom and fulfillment, but only make us slaves to addictions. The need for another hit a higher buzz, a more intense high. And when we see these attachments for what they are, when we allow grace to inform our hopes, we are animated with the strength that we need to resist those temptations, those provocations that assault us all the time. The hope born of grace infuses with us with an appetite for that which will not perish. The stuff that really matters. The stuff that, that seems to come to our, the surface only at Christmas time. The love of family and friends. The honor and respect and appreciation of all persons. The flourishing of all life. That's not just for Christmas. That's every day of our lives. Because that's what God intended from the very beginning. And that's what God's going to bring at the very end. That's the stuff that lasts. 
The eternal glories of heaven on earth capture us with a vision of a better world. Do you have that vision? The vision of a better world, true and lasting justice, an end to poverty and sickness. Anyone who says it's not possible does not know what has been promised. A shared appreciation for the blessings that are right before us. The blessings that we take for granted every day. And what we're talking about, what I've been spending the last five or ten minutes trying to capture for you, to provoke you with, this isn't just pie in the sky. This isn't just wishful thinking. We become so used to immediate gratification that for us, that's what we make it. We become so used to immediate gratification that the waiting for us is the hardest part. And that's why we've let it go. But beloved, the true meaning of Christmas, the true experience of grace is in the waiting. It's in the waiting. And despite our persistent restlessness and impatience, we know this. Despite our persistent restlessness and impatience, there's a subconscious awareness in every human being because it's within the order of creation that the most worthwhile things, the best things in life, take time. What am I saying to you? It's simply this, on the day before the day before Christmas. There's still time. There's no rush. You have time to wait. Beloved, can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Can I beg you? Can I beg us all in these, the time that we have left this year, the time that we have left for the rest of our lives, let us recapture the wonder and anticipation of Christmas when we were children. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember when you crossed that threshold where Christmas no longer meant the same thing because suddenly you were older? Go back, recapture the wonder and anticipation of Christmas when we were children. You remember what it was like when we counted the days? Do you remember what it was like when all we could do about was talk about that it's coming? It's coming. When all we could think about was what we would discover and receive under that tree and in our stockings. When all we wanted to do was to create something meaningful for the people that we love. To do something special for those around us. I want to encourage us to recapture that spirit. That orientation. The dark Mornings and the early evenings that mark this season reflect for us the groaning of a creation that still waits for its final redemption. And if we pay attention to the words, not just sing them absentmindedly, if we pay attention to the words, not just of the contemporary Christian songs on the radio, but the words we're singing in church, these ancient carols found in our hymnals, if we pay attention, we will hear whispers of promises yet to be fulfilled, longings that are still going to be kept if we believe that the first Christmas is truly about God keeping his word long ago through the prophets, then we must be no less in our belief, our anticipation that the promises that God has given to us that we are waiting for will come true. So take the time you have. Prepare. We need that time. Appreciate what you've been given, what you will be given. Take that time to express your gratitude. And to pass it on to those who are waiting just like us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. There is no rush. 
Come anew into our lives this Christmas, even as we dream of your coming in glory on the last Christmas that the world will ever need to celebrate. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.